with another edition of Making Money. Ron Hebert is the financial coach, retired portfolio manager. That means he looked after people's money, friends. And I'm Gord Whitehead. Ron and I have known each other for decades. We both have a passion about investing. He knows a lot more about it than I do, so I'm learning this stuff, kind of soaking it up like a sponge, hopefully, helping me make better investment decisions, and we hope that's the case for you. Now, where do you get your investment advice from? Hopefully from a show like Making Money. But maybe you turn on the TV every day and you watch, you know, Jim Cramer or somebody else that's supposedly one of these financial experts. Isn't the key here, Ron, they always get buy recommendations? I never hear anything about selling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if you take a look at the industry as a whole, Gord, most of the studies I've seen over the years show that 90% of all recommendations are buy or hold and 10% are lesser sales. So most of the advice you see or hear is going to overwhelmingly direct you to buy something, but there's virtually a wasteland or no advice that you're going to be given on when to sell. Now, part of the reason is that banking industry institutions don't want to offend their corporate clients by issuing sell recommendations. And the other reason is that talk show moderators generally uh, only ask portfolio managers during the interview what their top buy picks are. Have you ever seen a show where the interviewer looks at the portfolio and met and says, tell me what your, the three stocks are right now that you would avoid or sell. You no, never I, hear I, that. You never hear that. No, no. You know, so unfortunately what you end up with is that if you get your advice off TV and I've seen this so many times, is that people come in with portfolios of hundreds of stocks. They bought all the buy recommendations, but then uh, these people tend to disappear. And, uh, you know, this is the other major point, Gord, is that typically on these shows, you have a guest coming on maybe once or twice a year. And if you take a buy recommendation from an infrequent guest, you'll never be in a position to act when the portfolio manager actually sells that recommendation because they're not going to be on the show to tell you when they do that. So if you're going to follow a television celebrity stock picks, try to pick someone at least like Kramer. Kramer's on TV all the time. He's, he, I mean, five days a week. Yeah. He's on five days a week. So, you know, if you follow him, generally, if he doesn't like something, he's going to, he'll, he'll, tell, he'll you. tell you that yeah. he's getting out of it. But especially following advice from, you know, these talk shows on Bloomberg, CNBC, BNN, the list goes on, um, where the guest is so infrequent. Well, you're just never going to hear when it's time to sell. So be really cautious about taking that kind of advice. And as you say, over, over history, they're almost always buy recommendations, right? Like, would you say 90%? 90%, you know, so you, you, you want to be very careful when you take their advice, you take it with a grain of salt because they're never telling you to sell. They're always telling you to buy. And if you look at a, the investment equation, in order to have a transaction that's profitable, you have to have a buy event, you have to have a sell event. And having half of them, paper profits are great, but they're not real profits until they're actually taken. So sooner or later along the way, it might be a year, it might be five, it might be 10, but there's going to be a time where you're going to want to sell that stock. And if you want to sell it appropriately, is there going to be someone there to give you advice? Probably not. So a lot of these 
managers, and I use that term broadly, when they come on there, it's almost a marketing exercise, isn't it? Well, first of all, you have to realize they aren't telling you about ideas that they haven't um, bought yet. They're anything that looks really, really good they're going to get themselves invested before they tell you about it. So you're going to always be later to the party. And they usually will include uh, stock picks that they previously may purchase that have already risen quite substantially. Why? To showcase their ability to pick winners. Now, this is great for them, but not necessarily helpful for you, the investor, because if you're looking for undervalued investments that nobody has seen yet that are undiscovered treasure, you're not going to find that from someone on TV. They're going to be buying that undiscovered treasure and then telling you about it later. And then that would just, I would assume, if they buy it, say, at $100 and you come late to the party, you start buying it, the stock edges up to $120, then they're out of Dodge. They've made their money, right? Yeah, and you don't, and the problem here again is that you don't know that they've gotten out because they have, they're not going to be on the show for a long period of time, so you're not going to know about that. And the other thing is, too, at any time, I, and I don't watch these shows very often. I've tried over the years. It, it, there's so much contrarian advice sometimes, right? You just they, you get a hedge fund manager on, and you got a mutual fund guy over here and a stock picker over there, and, and they're all kind of at, at odds with each other, it seems. Well, they all have different objectives. So if you're a value investor you're looking for stocks that are cheap relative to their value. If you're a growth investor, you're looking for companies that are consistently really throwing up big numbers. If you're a momentum trader, you're buying anything that moves. If you're a hedge fund manager where you're playing both sides. So there's many different styles that are represented on these shows. And you're going to receive a confusing number of recommendations, often contrary to each other, because these different styles of investors have very different views of the world. And so you've got to, if you're following these people, you have to look, well, does this person's uh, investment objectives line up with mine? And often you don't find that just listening to the show. You've got to dig a little further for that. So, you know, if a, if a portfolio manager or someone who's making recommendations has a, a style that's contrary to yours, well, it's going to be very difficult for you to make money off the advice because it's not just generally the way you do things. And I know in the past, Ron, you've, you've mentioned here on the show that you, you believe subscribing to a publication that does this kind of research that gets you in and out of stocks is, is probably the better way to go. Well, first of all, you can, you can get research for, you know, value line, investment reporter, investment quality trends, and, you know, you can get research out there for two, $300 a year that you can get some very, very good research. And because they are not paid to sell you anything, in other words, they don't have any funds or anything that they're trying to put you into, their only source of income is the revenue get they get from your monthly subscription. So if they're going to stay in business for a long period of time, uh, they have to give good quality, unbiased advice. So these are a couple of places you can get it, and there's certainly more out there. Uh, I get the investment reporter. I get investment quality trends. I get Barron's. I get a number of other things. And 
I can get consistent long-term advice, and that just helps you when you're trying to pick something because you not only know when to buy and get consistent updates along the way, but you get the timing of when the party's over and you need to say goodbye to this investment as well. Okay, there you go. So don't necessarily get your advice from uh, somebody on the TV. Uh, There are perhaps better ways to go about doing it. Uh, All right, let's answer some questions, Ron, because we've had a few come to us here of late, and uh, we would be remiss if we weren't tending to them. We had one from Ken. Gentlemen, excellent show on dividends. Could you comment on covered call ETFs as part of an income portfolio? Okay, now here's where I sit back and listen, because I don't really know what that question was about. (laughs) Well, first of all, you have to understand what a covered call is. If you want to own, if you own a stock and you want to get some extra income, you can sell a contract to someone else and that gives that person, they'll pay you a fee that gives them the right to buy a stock off you at, at a particular price. These are puts and calls you're talking about. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So selling a call option, if let's say you have a $40 stock, um, and you sell someone the right to buy that stock off you at $42 over the next six months, and they pay you, let's say, a dollar a share. If the stock stays under 42, they're not gonna exercise that right. And if the stock is above 42, they will exercise the right to buy the stock. So they'll take it away from you at $42. You get to keep the dollar. So many institutions look at covered call writing as a way to generate extra income. And that's how these covered call ETFs or exchange traded funds are sold to investors. Now, two things that I found, first of all, most covered call ETFs I've looked at have underperformed the same funds that own the same stocks, but just buy and hold them by anywhere between two to 5% per year. So for example, if you have an ETF that buys, and holds utility stocks, but you have another ETF that buys and holds utility stocks and writes covered calls on them, or you have an ETF that just buys and holds bank stocks, and then you have another ETF that buys the same bank stocks but writes covered calls against them, you'll find that the ones that write covered calls, they underperform the buy and hold by between two and 5% a year is my experience. So. Um, generally you'll find that these exchange traded funds, if you're in a bull market, they tend to underperform. And you can see by, by my comments that they can underperform by, by quite a bit. And so generally, if you want to buy a covered call ETF for income, first of all, you need to realize that you're sacrificing some of your total return by using this strategy. And I think often you're just better off, for example, if you want to own bank stocks, just buy an ETF that owns bank stocks. And if you need some extra income that isn't uh, because the ETF isn't generating enough income from the dividends, the stocks pay, it's just sell it a little bit profitably now and then to make up for it. Or if you're going to buy a covered call ETF, do so when markets are down or sideways. This is when these covered call ETFs actually shine, is when markets aren't doing so well. So this is just another quiver in or arrow in your quiver that you can use when markets are not doing as well as you expect. Uh, You can generate some extra income and they tend to be less volatile when markets go down. So there is a place for them, 
but your timing has to be good if you want to get some outperformance. Okay, got a question here from Steve that's uh, a little bit tricky, Ron, so I'm going to read the whole thing. In a recent show talking about how to do a calculation to find out a dividend yield, could you go briefly in a show sometimes when a person is really looking to do this using the holding details that appear on their data sheets for most ETFs? As an example, if a stock is currently trading at $14.94 and the stated dividend yield reads 4.02% with the dividend per share reading $0.05, cents, I tried the math but I couldn't get the numbers as posted or found them to be too high. As one never really knows when looking at these ETFs when they pay out their dividends, either monthly, quarterly, or semi-annually. That would be nice to know when looking at these investments without having to call up one's broker to figure it out. Any suggestions? Well, generally, if you're looking at an ETF, there's a family. So iShares issues lots of ETFs. BlackRock issues lots of ETFs. If you go to their website, they'll generally have a very detailed information sheet on that particular ETF. Now, if you look at dividend history, uh, they'll usually give you the, the dividends when they were paid and how much they were. So if you look at those dividends, you'll see that some ETFs pay annually, some ETFs pay semi-annually, some quarterly, some even monthly. But, you know, in the past year, if you've got 12 dividends that were paid out, well, you know, it's a monthly pay um, ETF. So what you do is you add all the dividends up for the last 12 months. And there's either going to be one, two, um, four, or 12, generally, if they pay yearly, semi-annually, quarterly, or monthly. Then you divide that total by the current price of the unit. So if the ETF is... Uh, is trading at $10, you divide it that $10 in the total dividends that you got paid, then you multiply that by 100, and that's how you get your dividend yield. And usually it says it there, but sometimes that data is wrong. So often I'll just go into the dividend history, add it up, and do the trailing 12-month yield myself just to make sure I'm accurate. you got to spend time with Ron, folks. He has one of those financial calculators, and he's a wizard with it. <laughs> He pushes a lot of keys really quickly and comes up with an answer. <laughs> okay, that answers that one. One more here to round things off today. Hi, Rod and Gore. Just wanted to say thanks for the excellent two-part series on dividends. It was very enlightening. I've been looking to add to my TFSA portfolio. I'm a longtime conservative portfolio member. I don't have any exposure to metals and mining, nor do I have a food company. So in view of a possible commodity super cycle, which we talked about earlier this year, I've been looking at Newmont Mines. Is the Canadian TSX stock, which is symbol NGT, the exact same company as NEM on the New York exchange? He's worried about, should I buy it in Canadian dollars or should I be buying it in American dollars, I suppose, Ron? Well, first of all, regarding Newmont, the Newmont question, the listings in Canada and the U.S. are exactly the same company. So uh, you're getting what is called a dualist stock. However, it's important to understand how a company that is priced in its home currency, now this is a U.S. company that is also listed in Canada, uh, it, it's priced in its home currency in U.S. dollars. When it trades on the Canadian exchange, you take the U.S. price, and generally, uh, you multiply it by the exchange rate or divide by the exchange rate, 
and you get Canadian dollars. So if the U.S. dollar moves up or the U.S. dollar moves down, it's going to end up being reflected in the Canadian price, even if the stock stays the same. So, you know, I gave a big, long example of this, and actually I sent it to the listener, but it's important to realize that if you're buying a stock that trades in Canada, the the price is going to be ex- a, 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 um, affected by the exchange rate. So if the U.S. dollar is going up against the Canadian dollar, even if the stock stays the same, you're, you're going to see the Canadian value go up. If you've got a U.S. stock and the U.S. dollar is tanking, even though the stock price might not have moved, its value is going down in Canadian dollars. So uh, understand it's always the home currency that's the driver of the price. And right now the Canadian dollar has been, uh, well, it's been stronger than it's been in quite some time, which I can't quite understand, but I think that's maybe due to the fact that there's so much uncertainty and turmoil south of the border right now. I think that that is a very good reason. I mean, Canadians tend to be more... um, uh, conservative, and we don't have the political battles raging on uh, like they do in the U.S. right now. And uh, let's face it, the U.S. has made a lot of mistakes recently. Their withdrawal from Afghanistan has really, really damaged their reputation. And of course, the way they're handling the border, the way they're handling a lot of issues, frankly, uh, it almost looks like the last couple of in- administrations have been stumbling around in the dark. So, uh, you know, you look at all the uncertainty, the high COVID rates, the, 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 the fact that people don't want to get vaccinated, and you've got the, the battling back and forth that's far more vociferous than it is up here. Um, people just look at a safer place to be. And the Canadian dollar is certainly one of those. Yeah, that political divide down there, it's wide in Canada, but it's a chasm down in the States. There's no two ways about that. Okay, so there you go. Three questions that uh, we've had sitting in the mailbox here for a while that we were hopefully going to get around to answering. We did just that. So if you have a question, get it to us at letsmakemoney.ca or 3cfcw.com, and Ron will be happy to uh, give you his explanation in that regard. We're going to talk about a scam in our next episode, Ron, one that a lot of people may have heard about, or maybe you missed it. So we'll uh, flesh it out a little bit. On the next installment of Making Money, on behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.